A problem well-defined is a problem half-solved. On today's show, how to utilize data and analytics to frame your problems and get the clarity you need to solve them fast. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 333. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader and solve problems faster. That's our topic today on this episode. Uh, We've been talking a lot in the last few weeks on productivity, the right timing, efficiency, and yet we haven't talked much about how do you actually solve problems in a way that helps you to not only make better decisions, but to do it more quickly. I am really excited to be able to uh, welcome to the show today, Greg Hall. Greg has a specialty in harnessing the power of data analytics to help busy leaders achieve greater productivity. He is a Lean Six Sigma black belt, and he's the former director of analytics for a large healthcare company of $60 billion. And today, he works with clients one-on-one to help them to solve problems faster. Uh, About a year ago, he got pulled away from his corporate job to be serving clients one-on-one. He is also a member of the Coaching for Leaders Academy and has been for two years now. Greg, I am so glad to welcome you to the show. So glad to be here, Dave. You are the very first member of the Coaching for Leaders Academy who's uh, who's been a guest. So uh, I'm, I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So we were talking about solving problems faster for people. And I, I was just so curious in learning your story about how you got so good at this because you've been doing this for huge, huge corporations and at the same time helping individuals to do this well. And, and there's obviously differences there, but there's also some core things that are the same. And you were telling me a story of going back a number of years to sitting in an MBA class and having an insight. What happened? You know, I was pursuing my MBA and would always attend the executive lecture series that would come onto campus and sat down with a CEO of a company, an alumnus uh, from the university. And he started talking about a, a book that had helped him when he was younger and you know it well, Dave, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Oh, yeah, Carnegie's book. Dale Carnegie. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, that title, that that was something that I needed. I needed to stop worrying and start living. And so I, I picked up the book and I started applying its principles. And, and that set me on a journey of personal productivity and eventually led to the opportunity I have now to, to help others. What is it about that book or the title that, that grabbed you and what, do you remember what you did with it initially? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, I would say I may be wired to be a worrier. And, and maybe that's part of being conscientious and having a lot of goals and, and hopes and dreams. And, and so that, that title just hit me that, that that probably held some practical wisdom for me to, to how to get out of that. And so I immediately went out and bought it, started applying its principles. And and uh, that one thing led to another, discovered a lot of other things along the way, and now had the chance to put it together and, and help other people. Uh, do, you, do you recall what one of those one things were that you did with the book initially that kind of got you along, along that path? Oh, absolutely. I, one of the, the first things that, it, that he talks about is, is uh, living in day-tight compartments. In fact, I think uh, I've, I've heard you mention that on yeah. the show previously. Yeah. Uh, the idea of sort of sealing off the things that we're concerned about or that we're 
that we're worried about into taking things one day at a time. That was a, a help to me back then. A number of other strategies there in, in that book that, uh, that I used as well. Carnegie was so brilliant at making things simple that are fairly complex. And, and the thing that is interesting is a lot of that book is about how to frame your thinking around things, right? And, and I was thinking about that just in your journey of learning this process of Six Sigma and all the things you've done with data analytics. What did you learn in, uh, when you were going through this training of how to frame problems? Like, how, how did you get to the point where you could learn how to frame a problem more effectively? Yeah, Lean Six Sigma really starts with that, with uh, the define phase. And that really starts with a problem statement. I had a great mentor uh, when I was at General Electric, and he was a master black belt who really trained and helped uh, junior folks like myself to learn. And, and he really drilled into me the importance of a really good problem statement. The, the phrase, a problem well-defined is a problem half-solved, has really resonated with me over the years. And what I learned is that the more data that we can bring to a problem, the more clear-cut, objective, quantifiable information the better we're able to see the solution. And that's really why I ended up getting into analytics uh, was that I saw that data was the most powerful element in moving us forward, both personally and also at an organizational level. What is it he challenged you on, on defining a problem statement that helped you to think about this more effectively for people in solving problems? The thing that he really helped uh, me to understand is that there's some homework that you need to do before jumping into a problem. And that homework really is gathering some, some information, some clear data about it. So whereas I might have started and wanted to dive into something and start improving it, he really challenged me to spend more time up front to gather data, which sometimes is hard to do. But in that process of really digging into the quantifiable data, everything becomes clearer. Hmm. I've been thinking about this for a few months, actually. Jenny Dearborn was on the show a few months ago. I think you listened to that interview. And she talked about how a lot of organizations and individuals assume they don't have data and they don't have good data to use. And yet, how much of it is out there and available for us to use. And so when you're working with someone and trying to help them to figure out how to, how to solve problems more effectively, I know one of the places you start is just starting to get people thinking about leveraging data and collecting good data. Where does that begin? You know, the thing that sometimes we maybe overlook or neglect is that, as you say, in or most organizations have a lot of data, and it's true for ourselves as, as well. Every day as we go throughout our day, if we want to improve our own personal productivity, we have an endless stream of data of those things that we're doing, how long they're taking, what we're spending our time on. Uh, sometimes it can be hard to, to capture and to gather, but uh, I've found that there are some practical, simple ways to gather our own personal analytics, which can help us to solve our the problems that we're facing. When you're working with someone, what's one of the one or a couple of the starting points that you start to encourage a leader to look at as far as some of those personal analytics just to begin framing things? You know, I found there's really a continuum of how much control we have over our days. Some of us uh, maybe have a lot of control, maybe those who can really um, direct their day-to-day, -day. maybe they have their own business or they have circumstances that allow them a lot of control. In other cases, maybe a lot of our day is dictated by outside events that we need to react to. Sometimes it's the nature of the job. 
And so depending on how much control and how much freedom a person has, we'll take a different approach. But say the case where someone uh, is constantly has uh, incomings where they have to react to. A very practical approach to doing their own time tracking uh, is, is simply to begin and to, to start listing, noting, for example, the time of day and what activity they're engaging in. And then when they switch to another activity, noting the time and what activity they're switching to and continuing that throughout the day, all of a sudden they start to gather a lot of a really good data. It's very simple to do. What I've found is uh, a lot of people get hung up when they try to, try to do their own time tracking, in other words, gathering data, because they try to do too much. They try to, they try to classify it in the moment. They try to put it in a category. They try to break things into 15-minute blocks. But really, it can be a lot simpler. I have a, a customer who, who really had a lot of success with this, just noting the time, the activity, and again, each time it would change, noting that. Now, after a day or two or three, all of a sudden you start to have quite a bit of data. And after three weeks, you've got statistically significant data that you can use to then uh, build plans and, uh, and start to estimate where you might need to make some course corrections. I'm really curious about this because, I mean, you mentioned Carnegie a bit ago, and um, you know, I've taught Carnegie for years, and in one, not one of the classes I've taught, but there's one of the first exercises is to do some time tracking. And, and when I first saw that, it was the first time I was ever exposed to that. And I don't think that I've ever gone through and really done that, Greg. And, and yet, you in some of our academy sessions, I, I remember you about a year ago going through and you did a whole time tracking of your week and you showed up with an Excel spreadsheet and the clarity I saw you have after that of like how you were using your time was really profound. Before you even decide what to do with the data, what does that look like if someone's thinking about tracking their time? Is it as simple as just noting what's where or pulling up a spreadsheet? Like how do you, how do you encourage people to start on that? There's a little bit more, of course, to the process on the back end in terms of classifying and categorizing. And I share some of that on my website. But fundamentally, that's the first step that people need to take when they want to solve problems faster and improve their own personal productivity is that process of, of gathering that data. And yes, it is that simple uh, in terms of noting the time and the activity. And then, as I mentioned, one of the hangups that people have the, in terms of time tracking is trying to do too much. And so on the back end, at the end of the day, is the time when that can be dumped into an Excel spreadsheet, and then categorized each activity into something that then can be rolled up into categories. And that really is the foundation. There's a few, when I think about personal productivity and solving problems from an analytics standpoint, that really is the first step is the work on your plate, the work in your mind. You know, David Allen talks about sort of trying to achieve stress-free productivity. And he talks about getting everything out of your mind onto paper, doing a mind sweep. And I've seen that that is an important component of that and that quantifying that through a, an activity like time tracking really starts to bring it into greater clarity. It is really powerful when I've seen people do this, uh, and you're one example, and I know you do this with, with clients too, is you know, you get you look at a week and you you've collected this data and you figure out like, okay, I've got ninety hours of things that I want to do or I attempted to do this week, and I have sixty whatever hours of work or fifty five hours of work. You right away realize you have to make some decisions, right? That's really the power. So the the first part of the equation is, of course, 
the work on my plate or in my mind? What is it? And if we can quantify that, if we can take what is somewhat uh, vague and really bring it down, just like my mentor was was training me to to arrive at a problem statement that was well quantified and well defined. In a similar way, if we can take all the work in our minds and actually put a number to it, as you said. Mm. That becomes very powerful. I've got a uh, hundred and sixty-three hours of work in my in my mind. The next part of it is is your capacity. How many hours are you going to work? How many hours can you work? It sounds simple but powerful when you bring those what can be somewhat vague into actual numbers that you can look at. And as you said, Dave, all of a sudden I see a, a clear discrepancy between all that I want to accomplish and the amount of time I have for it. Yeah. Or what you thought you were spending time on, right? It, it, you know, it's, it, it seems like there's always that disconnect when people do this of like, I thought I was spending 10 hours a week on email and it turns out I'm spending 15 or, or whatever it is. So as a starting point, I mean, I think one of the things that we'd both encourage people to do, if you haven't done this before, and I'm thinking I need to do this for myself too, is just start taking a day or two days or maybe even a week, maybe even just start with a day and just figure out where you spent your time. Do you suggest doing it in the moment throughout the day, or is it potentially helpful to do at the end of the day? Like, what what would be like a, a a low bar thing someone could do if they've never done this before? Yeah, doing it in the moment as you begin your day, five thirty a.m. Got up. Next activity you switch to six fifteen a.m. Got ready. Seven a.m. Whatever activity happens at seven a.m. throughout the day. There's actually, I've seen customers who've gotten immediate benefit from this because it actually creates a little bit of a speed bump before switching to other activities. Oh, because you have to be intentional about writing it down. Yeah, you have to be intentional about writing it down. And so uh. so it actually it creates a, brings a lot of awareness. And then uh, throughout the day, noting that, and then at the end of the day, I, I share, as I mentioned, a, a simple process and an example a template for just dropping that into to an Excel document, categorizing it, and then uh, quickly you begin to see your current state. Your and that's in the sort of Lean Six Sigma terms. We want to define and grasp the current situation in a in a data driven way, so that we can begin to formulate ideas about what we might want to change. I've often heard financial planners say that when they're starting to work with a client, if they don't have a sense of that client hasn't been tracking or budgeting. Um, one of the first things we'll have them do is just just start tracking where you're spending money. Like, don't even worry about having a budget yet. Just um, just set up one of those automated systems where, like, like Mint or something like that, where it's you see where the money's going, and then once you know where all the money's going each month, then you can start to make some decisions. Like, oh, interesting, we're spending three hundred dollars a month as a family on whatever. What could we tweak and change? And then you can start to define a budget, but you can't create a budget if you don't know how much you're spending, right? And it's almost the same thing with planning. Like, how could you plan if you don't know where you're spending your time today, right? Absolutely. It's it's the right starting point for any personal improvement effort is to gather some good data. So there's an element here of peace and joy <laughs> that's striking me too. Having, having been at places in my life where I, I know I haven't, even though I haven't done the time tracking, like I've been way out of whack with like what I wanted to do and what I was actually able to accomplish each week. And then I've also been at places more so now where 
I feel like I'm pretty aligned with like what I feel like I can get done in a week and I'm fairly realistic even though I haven't tracked the time of like, okay, I know it's going to take me about this amount of time and I got about this much hours of the week. How do you see that play out with people when, you, when you're doing this of like just from a, just from a stress peace standpoint? Absolutely. In fact, that's really what I hope to, to help people with is that peace of mind productivity. And I think David Allen really nailed it. I think he did a great job of, of really articulating a lot of things that a lot of people have experienced. And, and, and that's really what he, what he identified early on in his system that, that, that he shares is uh, when there's this disconnect, when there's this dissonance between you know, what we hope to accomplish and what we actually plan and what we actually capable of in terms of a time capacity, there's that that dissonance affects our peace of mind a peace of mind. And, and so I absolutely agree. It's like he uh, says, you know, our mind is for having ideas, not holding them. It, it, it's almost, if the margin is there, the margin creates the opportunity to enjoy life right? <laughs> versus like how the rest of us plan our weeks, which is we've got, I've got three hours on my calendar today and I'm going to fill that w- every minute with three hours of work. And of course, that never happens that way because the phone rings or something happens or someone comes into the office, right? Exactly. And that, that's that's the second part um, that I think uh, that I find, I have found personally and find with, with clients that also brings a lot of clarity. And that is, uh, how much capacity do I actually have? If I sit down and I take a piece of paper or a calendar and I block out times, uh, how much capacity is really there? That also is rolled up to a number and uh, that all of a sudden starts to bring a lot of clarity it goes deeper than that because within each block of time that i might uh, pencil out on a on a calendar on a piece of paper uh, there's nuance there about how effective can i really be in those times and 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 sort of a reality around uh is that uninterrupted time or is that interrupted time that type of assessment, I think, is really helpful towards the, the peace of mind goal. Because if I do a realistic assessment of not only how much time I have, but what, what is the, the quality or the protectability of those, of those blocks, I can also be more realistic about mm-hmm. the goals that I'm setting and what I'm, what I'm taking on. Even though, as as you shared, Dave, in your uh, "How to Stop Spinning Your Wheels" uh, episode, that oh, it's yeah. some, it's sometimes you know sort of disappointing that we that we get to a place where we realize we can't get everything we we'd like to have done. It's it's a much more sustainable approach yeah. to to our work. But it's like have that crisis moment up front. <laughs> Exactly. When you're doing the planning of like, oh, I can't do all the things I want to do, and then set the plan to be a lot more realistic versus like feeling stressed out the entire every hour of your life as you're in the workplace of what I can or can't do. Um, exactly. There's an analogy that I heard years ago that I've thought of many times that when you're when you're calling into a company and you you either have a uh, visible cue that you're waiting in or an invisible cue. So the the invisible cue says. Thank you for calling ABC company. We'll be right with you. When in reality, you're about to hold for 10 minutes. So you have a, you know, if you charted it with emoticons, you'd have a smiley face when they say, we'll be right with you. And then 10 minutes later, you have the sad face that, you know, it took me 10 minutes versus thank you for calling ABC company. We'll be with you in 10 minutes. 
you got the the sad face at the beginning, but as time goes on, you get happier and happier, and eventually you get so that that idea of when do you want the bad news, uh, um, and how long do you want to carry that expectation that you're going to be able to get all these things done? This this idea of of quantifying and bringing a kind of a reality uh, in in numbers to our planning is, is along those lines. I think. One of the uh, sessions we did a few weeks ago for folks who were applying for the academy, um, we talked about, and I we were talking about expectations, and I made the point that the root of every human conflict comes out of unclear expectations. And there were ten people online, and I said, everyone's head nodding. <laughs> it's it's and it's same for ourselves too, though. If we and and even when I'm thinking about what you're saying, Greg, of Sometimes when I'm we're doing coaching or we're even talking about someone and and they're planning out their weekend, someone will say, "Well." I can't plan for all the things, the interruptions that are going to happen. And I find myself often pushing back on that and saying, well, it really? Like, you, you, how long you've been doing your job? You know, four or five years, whatever it is. You don't know what the interruption is going to be, but you generally know how many hours a week that's going to take. I mean, in some roles, it's an hour a week. In some roles, it's 35 hours a week. I mean, your job is to be a, a firefighter and to respond to things quickly. But to be realistic about that, and you don't know what that time is going to be, but to plan for it and say, okay, I know I'm going to have 30 hours a week that are not mine, so I'm going to plan for 10 hours or eight hours or whatever the right thing is. And so it's all about the expectations going into it. And I think that brings a lot of the peace of mind you were talking about, that that upfront assessment and realistic sort of acceptance of, of what my reality is. And therefore, if I've only got 10 hours a week that are mine to control, then I need to set 10 hours worth of goals that I want to that I want to control and accept that the other 35 hours are going to be largely reactive. Now that doesn't mean we have to, you know, that reality has to be such for forever, but I think that bringing into alignment our goals and dreams and hopes and plans with our current capacity is might be like I said a little bit of a sad face at the beginning, mm-hmm. but as time goes on, we get happier that we're achieving what we set out to achieve. Yeah, and you're more present too for the 35 hours you can't control because you're like, okay, this is the 35 hours I know I'm in right now. Um, I think about this in parenting too. I don't know if you think about this with your kids too. It's it's uh, you know if I do a good job planning a week and I know when my work time is, then when I'm outside of the work time with kids, I don't think about work. You know, I'm present with them. I'm not thinking about all the other things. But when I do a poor job of planning out, then, you know, I'll be with the kids. I'm like, oh, there's that one thing I didn't do. And vice versa, if there's the thing I'm doing, I'm thinking like, oh, I should be spending more time with the kids. But it's like either way, I'm going to have to reconcile that. If I do it up front, it's so much faster. Absolutely. And and I think that sort of on this, you know, step one, assessing uh, how much work you have on your plate in, in a quantified way, step two uh, assessing how much capacity do I really have. Part of that is deciding up front to fix the amount of time that I'm going to give to something. Uh, there's a great concept uh, a guy named J.D. Meyer shares in a, in a book called Getting Results the Agile Way, and the concept of fixing the time and flexing the scope. And uh, it's powerful. Up front, uh, we were talking earlier about that, Dave, how you know kids can can help you with that as well because you oftentimes have a fixed time when you need to pick them up or or take them somewhere. And that's actually uh, a real benefit to productivity because it gives you a fixed time and uh, flexing the scope. And as you say, 
once you decide that intentionally up front, you can be more more present in the moments that you've decided for, for certain activities. So what I'm hearing you say is, let's get some data collected. So maybe there's some data already there, but if not, let's start collecting some data to find out where we are spending our time. Step two is, you know, then we look at that, we figure out like, okay, what am I doing compared to my capacity? And then of course there's a there's an adjustment piece here too, right? So there's the reality of, okay, how do I then use this data to solve problems faster, ideally? Because once you get using this data, whether it's personally or an organization, I mean help, help hopefully helps you to get to the to the root of the issue faster. Tell me something about that. What when you're making adjustments, how do you how do you start framing that? So once it's staring me in the face that I have, you know, 200 hours of ideas and plans and expectations and 100 hours of capacity or whatever the numbers are, that that brings a lot of clarity in terms of what I need to adjust. Uh, I've got to shave off 100 hours. Where am I going to find those those 100 hours? And a lot of that comes in things I've, I've learned through the academy in terms of pairing back our expectations. Dave, you talk a lot about setting a low bar for something, which, you know, at first, when you first hear it, maybe doesn't, you don't totally understand uh, what that means, but it becomes really clear as you move forward through your goals and plans that, that actually pairing back our expectations on something is the way to, to accomplish the goals. And that's a necessary part if we're going to get that equation to match up and get that peace of mind that that my mind can grasp that I got 100 hours of work and I got 100 hours of time. And so that can be a process of either renegotiating expectations with uh, what we've committed to, recruiting help, just changing how elegant of a solution we intend to deliver. There's usually a, a wide range of options that we have in the things that we're doing from uh, something very simple to something very complex. But that thought process can be really powerful up front because then when we go to execute on it, we've reframed it in our minds as to what it is that we intend to deliver in a, in a certain thing. And we know going into it, that we have a fixed amount of time to spend on it. Uh, that, that can bring a, a host of benefits, whether it's a conversation with someone that we know we need to resist the urge to go off on some tangent, or whether it's a project that we need to resist the temptation to let it scope creep. Yeah, this kind of gets back to what you were talking about earlier as far as framing the problem. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me like half the work here is collecting the right data. Yeah. And when you collect the data, it's almost like the answer starts to just, the answers start to pop off the page. Exactly. Um, exactly. Bonnie and I just did this uh, a couple of months ago. We sat down and we did our, you know, we do an annual like planning and figuring mm-hmm. out our budget and all that. And I don't know why we didn't do this in the past, but we kind of, we took out, we printed out all our business numbers and we looked at like, where did revenue come from for mm-hmm. the whole year? Not just mm-hmm. like total, but like, where did things come from? And I'll tell you, we had the best conversation about it. Yeah. And planned out so much better this year. And the only thing that was different was that we had way better data. Like yeah. I had spent an hour putting together better data before that conversation. It is it was miraculous the difference as far as clarity and then decisions we made about what to where to go next. That's what my mentor was really teaching me is that the hard work of fixing a problem is actually defining it well. And defining it well is all about gathering the right data, and then seeing it. Because as you said, once once you have the right data in front of you, 
the the solution pops off the page in many cases and and that's uh, in my own personal career journey why I kept swimming upstream to get closer and closer to the data uh, because that's what really drove the decisions and what what really helped get clarity and yet in our own personal lives oftentimes that that data is somewhat elusive but it doesn't have to be it is i found a rigorous mental process of uh, not only doing what david allen suggests of getting it out of out of my head and onto paper but then actually trying to quantify it uh, the reason that i found that to be uh, a mentally rigorous task is because i need to really think about what am i going to do for that thing that i've got in my mind uh, there's a powerful concept in uh, in project management of the deliverable which when i first started doing project management i didn't really understand or really grasp the significance of that but to really understand a deliverable what is the tangible thing that i'm going to produce is it a document is it a powerpoint presentation is it a verbal recommendation is it a website what is the actual tangible thing that's going to come out of this this work that i'm doing to actually think through that and define it and then break it down you have to do that in order to estimate how much time it's going to take all of that is challenging but that's where a lot of the clarity and the peace of mind come from i was thinking about this in the context of gardening which full disclosure i do not do well <laughs> I was the one who convinced Bonnie we should have a garden in the backyard, and I'm the only one in the family who has not touched the garden. <laughs> so that's another conversation for another day, though. But it is it is a lot like gardening of like, you know, you can go out and do what we've done, which is like you put a whole bunch of plants out there and you start watering and just kind of see what happens. And after a few months, it's a mess. What you really need to do next and what you should start doing is to do the cleanup job first, but then to be pruning regularly. And I almost, I, I really see your work as as a gardener, where you're going through and sometimes doing a big cleanup job of helping people to think like differently about uh, you know pruning things out, but also that it's regularly going through and making sure you're finding the right data and right information to be able to make those kinds of decisions. Absolutely, and you know, many of us start out with a, a blank piece of paper or a, a whiteboard, and we get everything out of our heads, and we make a plan, and we get our calendars out. And we feel really good at the end of that session. And we feel like, you know, empowered and we take on the world. And then we start working our plan and invariably the unexpected happens and we didn't think about certain things and just life happens. And there's a need for constant adjustment. Uh, I like the analogy of an airplane that's off course 90% of the time, but through good data, analytics, and constant adjustments, reaches its destination. So those adjustments come in a few different ways. First, the adjustments to sort of our, our, our expectations and our plans so that we can right-size the amount of stuff that we expect to do. And then the constant adjustments and pruning along the way as the work unfolds and changes and uh, transforms in ways we often didn't expect so that we can reach our destination. And that is... It takes constant work, and it, when it's when it's done every day, when a, a weed just barely starts to come up, it's really easy to pull out, and that is sort of the attention that we pay, that we need to pay, to our our work. Mm. And uh, when we do that, when we prune it well, when we maintain it well, it, it can get 
close to that dream and that goal of uh, the stress-free or peace of mind productivity. I've had several people in my life who've done the time tracking in the last year or so. You're one of them. And all of them have had some really insightful things come out of it. So I I am going to do this for myself, get a system set up. And uh, you have been extremely gracious of spending some time in advance of our conversation of actually putting together a guide for people in our community who would like to do this. So I'm going to use that as my starting point. And you made it available to everyone too. Yes. If you uh, if you go out to fixyoursystem.com, you can download the, the five steps to personal productivity analytics. Fixyoursystem.com? Fixyoursystem.com. That's a great uh, that's a great web address. All right. So you've been listening to this podcast for a while. Obviously, uh, we talk a lot in the academy. You know, one of the questions I tend to ask people is, what have you changed your mind on? Because I think as leaders, and you've led large teams, and, and now you're leading a small business, as leaders, we need to change and be flexible and to you know blow with the wind a bit. What have you changed your mind on in the last five years that uh, is having you think differently now? You know, the thing that I've changed my mind on or really didn't understand well before is that if, if I want to create something beautiful, if I have a goal or a dream or a vision of something that at the end of the rainbow is a beautiful thing, I actually need to create potentially a lot of small, maybe even ugly things along the way. And in the moment, in the times when I'm working towards that goal, to embrace that and to build those small, sometimes not as beautiful things, get them out there, learn from that, get feedback, change the the course, the direction, that that's actually the way to end up with that goal or, or dream that I have. And I've, I've learned this you know, in, in books and, and you've talked about it, Dave, and others have about this, you know, start small and, and iterate and, you know, lean startup kind of ideas of minimum viable products. And it made a lot of sense to me intellectually that that, that would be a, a great way to, to make improvements. Mm. But it didn't really hit home until the last year or so when I've been in the midst of trying to accomplish things and, and had to do them in small, sometimes not as as nice of, of ways along the way. And I, I think that's that's the thing that I've really learned that stood out to me. How is it different than what you were doing before? What were you creating in the past? Well, in the in before, especially like in the world of analytics, you know, in, in the teams that I led, we we built a lot of uh, analytic workflows that that can be really what I call elegant and, and, and fancy and automated. And sometimes it turns out you build something really fancy and automated that doesn't get used. And so I learned to, even if it's not as, uh, as elegant in the small iterations, that actually that, that can be a much more productive way to, to get to the destination. Greg, thank you so much for your time and uh, for giving us a new framework to think about how to solve problems faster. And check out the resource that he's posted for us, fixyoursystem.com. Thanks a lot, Dave. When you go into the podcast library on the coachingforleaders.com website, you will see a number of past episodes related to today's conversation. If you click on the decision-making topic, a bunch of episodes there, including episode 160, 
The Five-Step Strategy for Solving Problems. Michael Cooper was my guest back on that episode. We talked through a five-step process for looking at a large organizational problem and really taking that 30,000-foot view from it and taking a step back from where we sometimes get caught up in the day-to-day. If that's uh, helpful to you right now, episode 160 will probably give you some new ideas on how to approach that. I'd also recommend episode 292, How to Solve a Really Big Problem. Teresa Shaheen was on the show. She brought her expertise in how she works with folks all around the world and in developing countries in order to really take the lessons from social entrepreneurship and to tackle really big problems in places that uh, aren't used to the typical problem-solving skills and uh, and aren't uh, utilizing typical problem-solving approaches. There's some great creative ideas in episode 292. A great listen if that is something that you find yourself in front of. And also, I'd recommend episode 323, How to Leverage People Analytics. Jenny Dearborn from SAP was on the show just a few months ago. She talked through some of the key things as an organization that we want to be thinking about from a leadership strategy standpoint and how to use data and analytics in order to be able to really leverage results. Episode 323 is a great listen for that if you are looking for resources on how to really utilize data better in your organization. And uh, how do you get access to all that? Well, you can go on to the coachingforleaders.com website, set up your free membership if you haven't already. You'll get access to the full podcast library over the last seven years, searchable by topic in addition to a whole bunch of other resources. You'll also get immediate access to my free 10-day audio course that's titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. It features some of the best lessons from this podcast over the last seven years and will give you some actionable things you can do in just 10 minutes a day to become a better leader. Join right now at coachingforleaders.com. Next week, I am thrilled to welcome Neil Pasricha to the show. Neil is the author of the book, The Happiness Equation. It's a bestseller. We're going to be talking about what are the practical things you can do to become a happier person. That's right. Something that uh, it's easy to lose sight of in the day-to-day monotony sometimes that we face in our organizations, um, but also just getting in our own patterns. And Neil's really going to challenge us to take a step back, look at our happiness, think about things that For a lot of us, we've heard, but may not be implementing as much as we could. Join me next week for that. Hey, if you have a question that you would like to get feedback on, submit it for our next Q&A show. Coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is where to go. See you next week with Neil. Take care.